0: Sorry, the number you have dialed is not in service at this time.
1: Hello and welcome on board the World Cricket Show, the world's favourite cricket show. I'm your host, and my name is Adam Bayfield. And tonight, the part of Tony will be played by Daniel Day Lewis. Evening, Adam. You're renowned for choosing your roles very carefully, of course. Most recently, you portrayed Abraham Lincoln, one of America's greatest statesmen, a real titan of world history. So you've gone from that to playing a notorious buffoon, a figure of ridicule. What was it in particular that, that
2: drew you to this role? I guess it's the opportunity to you know, play uh, someone with extraordinary depth uh, of character, of personality, of res- some kind of strength of character, resolve an inspirational figure who uh, will he'll, he'll go down in history. Do you
1: feel that you'll be able to inhabit the man as successfully as you were in the case
2: of uh Abe Lincoln? It was it would be easier to play Lincoln, to be honest. It was easier. No actor could ever hope to get anywhere close to Tony Kerr, I don't think. You've got the voice pretty much spot
1: on so far, that kind of mumbly, grating quality that, kind uh, of, that he kind was, of
2: he's famous for. Silky, uh sexy... Convincing. Well, I smell Oscars anyway. How yeah. is it going this week, Tony? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's going well. Quick uh, admission I've not started the book yet. Uh, even though I said I had slightly started it last week, it is on my bedside table. It is next on my to do list. <laughs> <laughs> well, for people who are perhaps unfamiliar with the podcast, Tony
1: is notorious for not reading books ever. And his New Year's resolution was to read a book a week. He downgraded that to to read a book. Now, a couple of weeks ago on the show, I presented him with a book called Netherland, uh, which is a novel involving cricket. Now, he reckoned that it would take him two weeks to read it from start to finish. It's now two weeks later, and you're saying that you haven't even started it.
2: Well, this is the problem with books and me, is that other life things overtake reading. Uh, I've had a busy couple of weeks, Adam. Uh, I don't know that you've been so busy that you couldn't...
1: You couldn't Lily have at Chris. least given it a go. You couldn't have sat down and read a chapter. Because you Possibly say this, not, but, but I guarantee you that you've not you've not been rushing around from appointment been, to appointment, have been,
2: you? I, no, I've had a really busy couple of weeks. Just been doing all kinds of stuff, like working. Again, though, you never, you never actually clarify what you mean by stuff. I've been working. I've, the Champions League's been back. All kinds of stuff. We had to play football last night and on Sunday. <laughs> yeah. I, you keep inviting me out places. I think just to try and draw me away from the book, so you can set me up for a big fall in yeah, the week. We j- <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? That's what you've done.
1: I've stitched you right up. Well, what should we give you? A, a week's extension? That's what I usually used to get at school. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. I mean, <laughs> mean I'm, I'm not. I'm not happy. I'm not angry with you, but I am disappointed. Uh, so I'm going to give you another week. And that's not just to read the book, but to actually write an essay about it as well. And I'll mark it, and I'll give you the mark. So the some que-
2: I'm, well, you could do a set some questions. Yeah, I'll give you a comprehension. Yeah, <laughs> do. I don't want a comprehension. I want more of a kind of, you know, in what ways, or compare and contrast the ways in which, I don't know what some of the characters that are in the book... Deal with some of the storylines. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd read a chapter, you might be able to even read the blurb. You might be able to at least. Oh, no, we did read the blurb, Name some of the characters that are in it. Barack Obama is he in it? <laughs> I don't think
1: so. I think the Rudy book was Giuliani. written before he, he became president. Andrew Strauss is in it. <laughs> Sachin
2: Inzamam friends of McCullum to see a bit at any stage. I don't know. Is it about cricket even? Yeah.
1: Well, the cricket's in it, but it's not just like it's not just a bunch of scorecards and match reports. <laughs> that's what I was looking I, I for really. because you can get that on this show. You don't have to read a book about it. Uh, speaking of which, shall I tell you what's coming up on the show today? Be grateful. Well, we'll be taking a trip around the world um, to discuss the test match that's been going on in Cape Town uh, and the conclusion to the Women's World Cup as well. Uh, we'll also rattle through some England chat, and there should be time for a couple of side notes too. But yeah, one thing I've noticed this week, Tane the weather seems to be improving slightly, just to give a weather update. Uh, it feels like spring is in the air, or am I jumping the gun by saying that? It is still very cold in there
2: come out the traps fast on summer i'm gonna call it summer adam i'm gonna call it summer not just spring i even went down to a shop a local shop called chilling and grilling uh, <laughs> to get some kebabs and i fired up the barbecue <laughs> it was freezing but yeah
1: it's really cold it's about four degrees outside yeah. isn't it but it has been sunny for about five or six days straight like really beautiful weather uh, Just, to be fair,
2: really cold. it's been up, you know, it's been kind of reaching seven, eight, nine, ten in the sun uh, <laughs> at times. Yeah, but I mean, it's been unbelievable compared to what we've had the last three months, isn't it? So, and the beach kiosks
1: are opening, which I think is a, a surefire sign that spring is on its way. Uh, I went on Saturday to the kiosk that we've talked about numerous times uh, here on the show. This is the one where uh, I once ordered a veggie burger off the menu and was presented with some lettuce in a roll. Which I think you should
2: have been happy with. A veggie <laughs> burger.
1: Come on. You went there on Saturday. I just went there with a, a load of my mates, you know. Uh, but they, they've updated their menu a little bit. I think they now do an actual veggie burger, but I didn't, I didn't order it on Saturday. Uh, it was just going for a, a hot drink. Their hot chocolate, they call a hug in a mug, which is quite an embarrassing thing to have to order because you sort of get to the front and they go, What do you want? And you go, Yeah, I would like a hug in a mug <laughs> but it does always feel like uh, spring has arrived when this kiosk opens i think it was it this time last year that we went it was me you good friend of the show patrick was there i took i took a photograph because you and patrick were surrounded by about nine trays of things
2: yeah that we, yeah went for a cup of tea and you ended up spending about 25 quid or something didn't you? various cakes kind of sandwiches yeah you can get a lot uh, a kiosk for 25 pounds as <laughs> well. a lot of food yeah, so I mean, we just ended up kind of in a sea of trays. I think <laughs> those, it was, those were the days. I think it was that time as well where uh, Patrick said, where Patrick sort of
1: stood up and, and said to us, Oh, I'm going to go up and uh, get a cup of tea. Does anyone, does anyone want anything? Tea? coffee adam and i went no nah, no i'm fine thanks he went tony and you went burger <laughs> I did not do that
2: you know Sorry. don't offer if you can't deliver on the
1: on the offer i suppose he did say does anyone want anything yeah you have got a bit of a reputation for that you've got a track record because th- there was that time <laughs> as well again a, with a good friend of the show patrick this was years ago he was like guys i don't know if you want to come around to my house uh my mum's actually uh cooking steak tonight and she's very kindly said that uh the two of you could come around if you like and, and have a piece of steak and i was like oh
2: yeah, brilliant, that's a really nice offer, yeah, thanks very much. And you went,
1: what sauce?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure if I deliver it in this, but you, you kind of, you've embellished that slightly uh, with a kind of voice and a <laughs> tone. That's my impression of you. Yeah, I don't know, it was more like a I kind know of... I haven't
1: nailed it quite as well as Daniel Day-Lewis has. <laughs> yeah. What sauce? <laughs> that's what you sound
2: like. Yeah, that's very much what I sound like.
1: Burger. <laughs> Could actually get Ray Winston
2: to play you, I suppose, can we? It'd be, it'd be Ray Winston in Russell Crowe or Ryan Gosling's body, wouldn't it? <laughs> Ryan
1: Gosling. Shut yeah.
2: up, Ryan Gosling. That's kind of what that would be the combination, I think. This <laughs> <laughs> is the best bits of each. No oh, one,
1: presumably, no one said to you that
2: you look like Ryan Gosling. No, <laughs> no let's be honest. Tim Bresnan. Tim Bresnan. Johnny Vegas. Johnny Vegas. <laughs> Let's
1: kick off the show with the item Around the World on which we talk about things that have been happening around the world and let's kick off Around the World in South Africa where the home side this week wrapped up a Test Series win against Pakistan with a hard-fought victory in Cape Town. South Africa won the toss and put Pakistan in and it looked like there might be a a repeat of Johannesburg on the cards when they reduced the tourists to 33 for 4 but there was a great recovery with a fifth-wicket partnership Of more than 200, Yunus Khan made 111 and Asad Shafiq also made 111. From there, you thought Pakistan might get 400, 450 plus, but there was another collapse. They were all out for 338 in the end. Vernon Flander taking five for 59. South Africa were in all kinds of trouble at 164 for six, but 84 from Robin Peterson dragged them up to within 12 runs of Pakistan, 326 all out they were and at that point you felt although they were behind they were probably in control of the game that impression was reinforced when pakistan was seven for two but another recovery meant that they were 114 for three maybe thinking about setting south africa a challenging target but there was another collapse took four for 40 peterson three for 73 they were all out for 169 that was a target of 182 that never looked like being enough and although they did pretty well with the ball, Syed Ajmal taking four more wickets to go with his six from the first innings, South Africa did in the end get there with four wickets to spare to win the game and go 2 0 up in the series with one to play. So that was an, uh, a really good test match, I thought. It was an absorbing test match, much more competitive than the first game in Johannesburg where Pakistan were uh, bowled out for 49. It was a, a very one sided affair. This was much closer. Could you even make a case that Pakistan let South Africa off the hook here? Should they have won this game?
2: I mean, it was more absorbing than bounty kitchen tissue, wasn't it? (laughs) There you go. That's
1: that's funny because all the way through what I just said, after I said the word absorbing, you were just (laughs) looking at me with a slight smirk on your face. Waiting to to crack that gag.
2: What was the question?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just, really so awesome. I wasn't
2: concentrating enough. that I was thinking about the gag. Uh,
1: could you make a case that Pakistan let South Africa off the hook here, is my question. Should they have won that game?
2: Well, I don't think you can say they should have won it. Uh, arguably, they got off the hook themselves a bit, you know, with that, that brilliant partnership in the first innings. So they were kind of on and off the hook. Both teams were on and off the hook at several occasions, And don't know if there's an expression to sum that up. But yeah, I mean, certainly uh 109 for five, you're thinking, hey, Pakistan could have a 150 plus lead to play with here, uh, which probably would have been enough in the end. So, yeah, it, you know, it is a match that could have gone either way.
1: Yeah, as you say, it really swung one way and then the other. So it would be, I think, harsh to chastise Pakistan for not winning that game. I and mean, it's incredibly difficult to beat South Africa in South Africa. So they shouldn't be too downhearted with the fact that they didn't manage it. But they will be a bit frustrated, certainly with some aspects of it. And at various times, it did look like they were going to win. And they should have got about 50 more runs in their first innings. They should have bowled South Africa out for about 50 less runs in their first innings. Then they should have got about 50 more runs in their second innings than they did. You know, had they managed to post a fourth innings target that was even 70 runs higher than they did, they might well have won. But as it was 182, it just wasn't quite enough for Said Ajmal. To work with. I mean, he had a pretty good go at it and they took six South African wickets. You just feel that if the target had been 250, 260, they probably would have come through there. But nonetheless, there's lots of things that Pakistan can be proud about in this game. The hundreds from Yunus Khan and Assad Shafiq were both fantastic under a huge amount of pressure when they came together at 33 for four. And there was an absolutely brilliant performance from Saeed Ajmal, at 10 wickets in the game. And I would say that, you know, bowling wise at least, he's probably the closest thing to a genius that's operating in the game at the moment. I mean, obviously, Dale Steyn is, you know, one of the the greats of fast bowling. But in terms of someone who's unorthodox and uh, great to watch, they don't come any better than Saeed Ajmal at the moment.
2: Yeah, I mean, he's brilliant. But I mean, Steyn's got 28 wickets now in four tests this year. Describe that for me. Good. (laughs) Yeah, it's not bad, is it?
1: I think the most disappointing thing from Pakistan's perspective is that they they actually made it harder for themselves than they needed to because they left out Abdur They could have picked him as a second spinner. He was so devastating against England a year ago. This surface in Cape Town was very conducive to spin. Robin Peterson was man of the match, partly for his runs, but he did also take wickets. Ajmal was brilliant. They could have picked Rahman, but they left him out in favour of a third-seamer in Tanvir Ahmed, who was spectacularly ineffective. Only one wicket in the game. Had Rahman been there to support Ajmal, I think they probably would have won here. But that said... Enormous credit should be given to South Africa. It is that resilience that, as much as anything else, sets them apart. They've now won six Test Series in a row. Uh, I believe it's 14 tests without defeat. It's at this sort of stage that words like legacy and greatness start to get bandied about. It happened to England a year or so ago. They came crashing down to earth quite violently in the UAE and then at home against South Africa. Are South Africa better placed than England were? to make a run at becoming one of the truly great teams, would you say? I mean, there's probably, I can only think in the modern era of two teams that you would say were genuinely great. When you say modern era.
2: Modern being post-war. You only think of two teams post-war. That are truly great. Well, it depends how you define greatness, I guess. If, where, you, where do you, draw the, where do you like, draw the line? Well, it's an interesting discussion. Well, um, okay, I haven't got time for it now, mate. <laughs> not really, but I mean, uh, the, the two teams for me are the West Indies
1: team under Clive Lloyd at the 70s and 80s, and then the Australian team yeah. under Mark Taylor and Steve Waugh in the, the 90s and nineties Could South Africa potentially join that company or is it far too premature b- well, to make that kind of judgment?
2: I mean, they're on course. They're, well, like, to a certain extent, they're on course. I mean, they'd have to do it for another... They'd have to dominate Test cricket and to a certain extent international cricket, you know, for another... F- well, not for another. They'd have to dominate it now for the next 10 years if they wanted to stake that kind of claim. No one's
1: saying that they're one of the great teams yet, but I'm just saying if you look at them, do you think they're equipped to to go on that kind of run where they dominate?
2: Potentially. I mean, two things that, for me, would kind of steer me away from that kind of thinking. One, you know, to a certain extent, it feels like the last couple of years, and I don't know if this is just, this is from like an England supporter's perspective, but it kind of feels like a bit of a weak era, in a way. It seems like there's not a lot of competition around. So that's one one reason. Uh, The second, you know, they've got players in that team Smith and Callis being two of them who are going to have to they're not gonna be around in a few years time you wouldn't think Smith's not as old as you think yeah I don't think he's gonna be I don't think he's gonna be isn't he about 34 Smith uh he is 32 32 going on 34 (laughs) so Smith yeah
1: I mean he it might well be that he loses the desire to carry on because he's been South African captain since 2003 so I mean if my math is right that's a decade that he's been in the job. So, yeah, he might decide, I don't want to do it anymore fairly soon, but he could potentially play another six or seven years if he wants to.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, Australia, you know, the great Australian side of kind of our lifetime, uh, a lot of those players played a lot of that time together. You know, whereas uh, yeah, obviously Stain and Smith have played quite a lot together, but, you know, Philander has only come through recently. He looks good. Can he maintain it? Uh, you know, possibly Amler as well has only really come to the party in the last couple of years. Well, to secure that kind of legacy uh, you really need to be having a batch of five six seven players come through and play the bulk of their career together and great players at that
1: but, but I think they could have that because Amla, de Villiers, uh, Philander, stane Morkel they've all still got years ahead of them you know I think they've got the nucleus of a team that could be around for quite a long time and as I say I'm not suggesting that they are a great team yet yeah, they've what they've got to do is go on yeah, they've got years ahead of them where they need to sweep aside all before them. And as you say, it's probably true that it isn't a particularly great era. I think England are, very, are a very good test team. Beyond that, most teams in world cricket aren't in the best shape they've ever been. But you can only beat what's in front of you. And yeah. I, I think South Africa have got an awful lot of things going for them at the moment. Not least that formidable pace attack, which seems to grow more formidable by the game. Vernon Flander is just a machine.
2: I mean, he's basically got a nuts start to his career, hasn't he?
1: Well, he got nine more wickets in that game. We keep expecting him to hit a wall at some point, but he hasn't yet.
2: He's got 87 wickets in tests now.
1: I think he could very well equal the record for fastest 100 w- wickets. Uh, the current record holder is George Lohman, who's an Australian. He played in the 19th century, so I mean you know we're talking about potentially equaling a record that has stood since before you know the invention of the aeroplane and that kind of thing so i mean that's how phenomenal he's been the pace unit is unbelievably good but i think the reason why south africa are so difficult to beat at the moment the reason why they've gone 14 tests without losing a game is the batting lineup and obviously we know all about the the stellar names that are there your Amlers, your calluses your smiths but what I think is actually most important is the depth of the batting. You've got a frontline batsman coming in at number seven. At the moment, that's Dean Elgar. It could be that at some point soon, J.P. Domeny will come back, which will strengthen it even further. Then you've got Robbie Peterson at eight. You've got Philander at nine, both very decent batsmen. Peterson's runs kept South Africa afloat in Cape Town. If it hadn't been for his 84, they would surely have lost. Uh, Philander's runs bailed them out a couple of times in England. So you've got someone coming in at number nine that's a very useful batsman. So there's so much batting there. Taking 20 wickets is extremely difficult. So they've got most of the ingredients and plainly they're the best side in the world at the moment. But I think you're right. I think they do have some way to go before they're considered great. And there are a couple of a couple of things that they need to um, address. Firstly, they probably need to win in India. They have got a great record away from home in the last few years. Three of their six consecutive series wins have been in New Zealand, England and Australia. But it is India that historically has been the litmus test. And that remains the case, even if India aren't at their strongest right now. South Africa have actually got a very respectable record in India in recent years. I think they've drawn their last two series there, but they haven't won. They need to do that. And there is something looming, which you alluded to, uh, that might derail them. And that's not necessarily the retirement of Smith, which I think might be a while away still, but the retirement of Jacques Callis. He's 37. He's never been someone that's looked ageless. You know, for about the last six years, he's looked like he was pretty close to retirement just by looking at him. But his form has held up throughout all that time, and he's still one of the best batsmen in the world, still taking wickets as well. But he is going to go eventually, and when that does happen, it will be a massive blow. They'll miss his runs, they'll miss his wickets, they'll miss his catching in the slips, they'll miss his presence on the field. And above all, I think what they'll miss is the balance that he gives to the side because. You know they're going to have to recalculate once he goes. They can't have um, a frontline batsman at seven if they haven't got Callis there giving them those overs. You know this thing about the depth of the batting that is going to change when Jack Callis goes. He's a big player, isn't he?
2: In every every kind of facet of his game and personal appearance, <laughs> you can't really. I mean, yeah. Having said what i said about South Africa needing to do a lot more as it stands in kind of international test cricket you i don't know you kind of can't see them losing test series for the you know it could be a while it could be three or four years until maybe you know i don't know what well, at the moment england they're probably the only side that are going to come close to them uh obviously it's hard to predict three four five years in the future about the state of, of teams but as it stands you know you can't see them having too much trouble beating sri lanka australia
1: it might be different when they go to some of the th- those places though maybe not Sri Lanka and Australia I mean they've just won in Australia but I think the tour to the UAE later this year could be very interesting Pakistan are clearly a much much better side in those conditions than they are you know away from Asia
2: well obviously you know we saw how England capitulated over there yeah that's not going to be easy you know if Ajmal can do this kind of damage in South Africa then uh presumably you can ramp that up you know a couple of dials on the notch notches on the dial sorry Uh, uh, for
1: UAE if they therefore do go to the UAE and get a result and and get a win that would be a a massive milestone I think well let's leave South Africa shall we and uh, head north and a bit to the east Uh, well a lot to the east I suppose to India uh, where this week the Women's World Cup roared to an exciting conclusion Um, Australia ran out winners for the sixth time They've won six out of ten World Cups. Uh, they beat West Indies in the final. Uh, West Indies making it to their first ever final uh, by virtue of upsetting New Zealand and Australia in the Super 6 stage. England finished third after beating New Zealand in the third place playoff. Did you get the impression that this tournament was a success? When we talked about it a couple of weeks <coughs> ago, You know, we remarked upon how much coverage it was getting yeah. in England. Now it's over, does it go down as a success, do you think? Still empty
2: stadiums. Yeah, I'd say overall, I think it has to be considered a success. Yeah, like you say, the, the coverage was quite kind of striking in a way because it, it was, it was you know, prominent, particularly like the BBC prominently, uh, prominently covered it online in kind of sports bulletins and stuff uh, on the TV. So, you know, that's got to be a positive in terms of, yeah you know, generating more interest and getting getting people involved in it. Yeah, the stadiums might not have been that well attended. I don't know how well attended they would have been in the men's cricket. Uh, you know, it depends. Well, yes. I mean, I, well, I suppose in a World Cup. Um, some, some, yeah, there probably would have been slightly better attendance, yeah. but still some matches would have been, you know, we've seen in pre, like, the last few years matches pretty much, uh, you know, empty for men's World Cup games. Well, yeah, for some World Cup games, for
1: Kenya v. Zimbabwe, but not all. But, yeah, I mean, even when England went to India in 2011, the grounds were far from full so I think that's a very good point because it's easy to, to look at the empty stadiums for the Women's World Cup and think, well, you know, it's not attract, it's not attracting much interest over there. But it's a very good point. It, it's not necessarily that different to a lot of international cricket of the men's variety. So you've got to look beyond that. You've got to look at things like TV figures, which we don't have as yet. Um, I
2: mean, i will be the first to know, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> we direct line. Uh, I mean, it's got to be really positive. I think women's cricket is, uh, might, I think I've said it before, but women's cricket, you'd think... Is the kind of sport that, of the kind of sports that women might be able to get a foothold in, in uh, you know, in a male dominated world, Adam. Cricket is the one, yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, yeah, and, and this, is, this is an example and the, the kind of coverage that it's got, only really comparable to tennis, I think, at the moment. Even football, women's football occasionally pops up. And I, I can't remember what it was like during the last Women's Football World Cup. But yeah, presumably, you know, if girls want to get into sport, seeing this that and yeah, obviously people want to play get involved in a sport in which they can eventually get paid and get some kind of recognition uh you know this is going to be quite an attractive sport to get into
1: yeah i mean obviously there's all the sports that are in the olympics um the women's events are by and large just as popular as the men's but in terms of team sports Away from that, that's a four yearly
2: cycle. I mean, very few athletes and even fewer female athletes are going to get any attention outside of the Olympic time, are they? Whereas, you know, know, there'll be a Cricket World Cup, there's a Women's Ashes, a 2020 World Cup. So, there are kind of more events that, you know, that people are going to get into.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, it's encouraging to see so much coverage given to it in terms of uh, boosting the exposure of the game and, and getting girls into playing cricket yeah it has to be said that it, it, it didn't seem to capture the imagination of the Indian public empty stadiums but also from what I understand it just didn't make much of an impression people just didn't even really know it was on I think there was one poster in Mumbai or something <laughs> like that the organizers claimed that they created quite a
2: buzz on uh, social media oh, right. but that's not really good enough is it no I do find it slightly bewildering that, you know, we we've we talked about it before that kind of for sport to really be any good there's got to have some context uh, yeah, to make it exciting, to make it kind of seem... Po- essentially, all well, sport is pretty pointless, isn't it? So to give it some kind of sense of purpose it needs a purpose. And I'm sure I've been, I'm sure I've been victim to the kind of hype and, like, kind of marketing forces of, of sports in the past but it must be... A, it's a real battle to kind of promote something like this is quite hard sell I'd imagine compared to uh, a lot of other events maybe they didn't try hard enough they
1: essentially they just weren't really prepared to pay the money to promote it I think you know they kind of let women's cricket down there you know they're not necessarily afraid to throw cash around at other things you know I just feel they they could have maybe done a bit more but looking at actually what happened on the field Australia were by a distance the best team in the tournament uh, they only lost once which was to the West Indies once their place in the final was already assured They now hold the World Cup, the World 2020, and the Ashes. England and New Zealand and the rest are quite a long way behind them, I
2: think. Which is strange, isn't it? Because I think to a certain extent, we're sold the idea that the England women's cricket team is the best in the world <laughs> all the time. Do you get that feeling? Well,
1: yeah, they did win the World Cup in 2009.
2: So going yeah. into this
1: event, they were the defending champions. But I do know what you mean, that there is a perception that, yeah, in England. That, that's that, the feeling I get. That the England women's team is the best. Yeah. But it isn't. Australia are definitely the best.
2: They've got Elise Perry as well, haven't they?
1: They do have Elise Perry, who plays cricket and football for Australia. I mean, ultimately, England had quite a disappointing tournament. They'll be frustrated because they actually seem to be peaking at the right time. They won three consecutive games at the end of their run, only lost very narrowly to Australia. And their only other defeat was in the opening game against Sri Lanka, which was a massive upset. Ultimately, that was their undoing. If they'd won that game, they would have been in the final. And then who knows what would have happened. When we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, we discussed the narrowing of the gulf between the teams. Uh, Sri Lanka beat England and India. They'd never beaten any of the big four before. Uh, That pattern continued throughout the tournament with West Indies, who were also outside the big four, beating New Zealand and Australia and getting to their first final. You'd have to say that they are one of the big teams now. It is is a big five. Before this event, though, they'd only ever played two one-day internationals against Australia, which is absurd. That's an absurd figure. Because West Indies have been playing women's ADIs since the 1970s and they've played two against the Aussies. It's (laughs) ridiculous. That's another thing that probably needs to be looked at in terms of outside of the World Cups. England and Australia and New Zealand need to start playing more ADIs against West Indies and Sri Lanka and the others. Um, Because West Indies have got maybe the best women's cricketer in the world in Stephanie Taylor, uh, who struck 171 from 137 balls against Sri Lanka. And they've got Deandra Dottin as well, who hit a 27-ball half-century in that game. She was uh, she hit a lot of sixes in this tournament, uh, 12 in total, which is far and away the record for an individual at a Women's World Cup. And actually, in general, I think there just seemed to be more power-hitting than in previous women's events that I've seen. Number two on the all-time list of individual sixes at a World Cup was also at this tournament. Sophie Devine of New Zealand made seven. So, you know, obviously it's not still not the the same as the men's game, but... That's probably a good thing for women's cricket, that more and more kind of big hitting, power hitting. Yeah, on the basis that uh, sixes equal good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is what you want to see. Which kind of it. goes against what we were talking about last yeah. week. But, you know, you've got to have Strike a balance. some sixes, haven't you? And there were many more in this event than there have been before. The overall run rate for the tournament was above four, which is the first time that's ever happened. See, so yeah, all these things. It's just, it was actually it was quite compelling viewing, I thought. The final wasn't a particularly close game. It was a very big win for Australia. Um, but the previous Australia-West Indies game was very exciting. Australia-England was very exciting. I was ill a couple of weeks ago, Tane. <laughs> I don't know if you're aware of that. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it at all. Uh, so I was off work for a couple of days and I, I watched, a lot of, uh,
2: watched a lot of the Women's World Cup. I, think, I mean, the difficulty is, though, in, have you got enough time to start watching women's cricket as well? the answer to that is no isn't it <laughs> really realistically so i mean it relies like, i mean it does the success of kind of women's team sport though does rely on women watching it as well obviously women what a lot of women watch male sport team sports but they need to also more women need to watch women's sports don't they?
1: yes it's not like i'm sat around day to day going oh i wish there was some cricket on because there's always cricket. <laughs> on. there's literally always cricket on So, yeah, I probably don't need any more cricket in my life. But particularly at events like this, it is exciting. And actually, I I chose to watch England-New Zealand in what turned out to be a meaningless game, but was potentially, you know, a very important one before West Indies beat Australia. I chose to watch that rather than watch the Australia-West Indies 2020 that was on at the same time, men's. So what does that tell you?
2: The whole thing is very difficult, though, because there's just a lot of sport, isn't there, in the world? And there's a lot of sports who are trying to get more attention and trying to grow. And it's got to be at the it has to be at the uh, expense of other things. There's not enough room. If you want a bigger slice of the pie, someone else is going to have to have a smaller slice of it.
1: Yeah, no, that's very true. You see this with Olympic funding and stuff, yeah. don't you? The... Well,
2: bizarre Olympic. I mean, getting rid of wrestling seems a bit odd. Not that I watched. That was probably the one spot I didn't watch any it... of. It's so really boring. For people
1: who didn't see, wrestling as as more or less been cut from the Olympics in 2020. And uh, yeah, loads of people are like, what are they getting rid of wrestling for? But I watched none of it. No one watches any of the wrestling.
2: Bringing. I cricket, do feel sorry, like, though, for the nations who are really good at wrestling. You know, we'd, be, we'd literally be up in arms, I think, if they got to rowing or cycling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, true. it would be. I feel like someone should have stood up for wrestling.
1: Well, maybe we should have started a world wrestling show. <laughs> England. On this part of the show, we talk about England. Now, England are in the middle of a 50 over series in New Zealand. It's one all with one to play. New Zealand won the first game by three wickets. England were all out for 258 in their innings, half centuries for Ian Bell, Jonathan Trott, and Joe Root, Mitchell McClellan, took four for 56. At one stage, it really looked as though New Zealand were going to fall short when they were 186 for six, but some brilliant hitting from Brendan McCullum. 69 not out from 61 bulls with three sixes. And Martin Guptill, who played through an injury at the end to make 27, got them to the target with three wickets and 1.1 overs to spare. So they went 1-0 up. The second game was in Napier uh, and England bounced back to win very comfortably. Uh, they bowled New Zealand out for 269. Ross Taylor made 100. McCullum, 74 from just 36 balls went ballistic at the end. It did at one point appear as though New Zealand were going to fall some way short of something competitive like that. James Anderson took 5 for 34, Chris Wake's 3 for 68. England got to their target with 8 wickets to spare. Half centuries for Alistair Cook, Jonathan Trott and an unbeaten 79 from 56 balls for Joe Root. Terrific innings from him. Uh, So that was, in the end, a pretty convincing win. So it's one all. But uh you'd have to say that England are the ones with the momentum. Uh was was this a case of the real England turning up in, in Napier times? Do you think uh maybe it just took a moment for Cook and Bell and Trott and Swan and Anderson to get themselves into gear? Uh, although saying that Trott and Bell both <laughs> made half centuries in the first game. But uh were, were were maybe England just a bit kind of sleepy, a bit half of them still on the plane, maybe.
2: Yeah, I mean this is the first time though, like, I think And maybe it's more because it's a tour, and it's the kind of time zone, and that when you know when the matches are playing. that I've really completely lost track of what's going on. Uh. (laughs) Okay, well, I'm glad we got you here anyway. (laughs) By which I mean, by which I mean, though, that I just just confuses me that there's so few tests and so few wonders and so few, you know, just make a choice. I think. What do you mean, make a choice? Do the tests. Yeah. And then do either ODIs or T20s <laughs> for me. And I thought
1: the fact that there's not as many ODIs well, would great. make it easier for but, you to <sighs>
2: comprehend what's going on <laughs> to get your brain around it. But just, I don't know. Just kind of choose what if you're going to do a short tour, choose one.
1: Uh, no, I completely com- no. I com- what? Yeah, but, I, I completely disagree. No, no. You say do the test first. No, I completely no. Do disagree. the test in
2: the middle. Do the test in the middle yeah in the middle of what you said you only want one form play two ODIs then the test then one ODI if you're going to have both do the T20s well do the ODIs then the test then the T20s no for me completely completely wrong I'm afraid
1: (laughs) because for me this is the perfect tour not necessarily t20 first <laughs> the perfect although...
2: tour. actually though it does look really nice over there and i really wish we were there <laughs> it would have been the perfect I tour i
1: honestly thought about going till i tell you this <laughs> no. a couple of months ago i looked into flights and everything
2: because yeah. i was just well, you like... told him that you didn't tell me about this how <laughs> it <laughs> turned up tonight <laughs> oh, that? Oh.
1: i actually looked into flights and accommodation and stuff and then i was like and then i went oh no i definitely can't <laughs> i definitely yeah. can't justify spending that money to go to watch cricket in new zealand but I really wish I was there. I've got it to say it looks so nice. It looks amazing. But no, in terms of the, the scheduling, I think it's perfect because play the limited overs games first builds up. It le- it builds into the test series because it makes everyone more excited about the tests that are coming up rather than, as in India, play the test first, which is what, from an English perspective anyway, um we care about. And then the limited overs games are like an afterthought and it's just a you know, a bit of a knock around and the players wanna go home. Whereas now, you know, it's all you're trying to work out who's informed. The tests are like the main course. Right at the
2: end of the tunnel. The tests are the main course after it,
1: the, the, the hors d'oeuvres, the amuse-bouche of the limited overseas. You know,
2: That's about the eighth time you used that word on the, on the podcast. The podcast yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you've ever
1: used it outside of the pod. I do like the word amuse-bouche. It's a fun word to say. Give it a go. I,
2: can't, I don't think I can pronounce it. I think you're just a mouthpiece now for the ICC. <laughs> you're just parroting back what you've been told. it to come down the wire. Yeah, have you noticed it in the last few weeks? you are still talking about DRS? <laughs> yeah. It's got dropped off the agenda. I like, yeah, I see, I see what he's saying, but three warm-up matches, all these threes, it's just too much for me. <laughs> three warm really matches, not that oh, difficult. No, three warm-up matches, three T20s, three ODIs, three tests. What's going on? I don't understand why this is so difficult for you to I get just, your head around. I just don't. Like Surely, this, if no. it
1: was like five what? T20s, seven ODIs,
2: why did they have three warm-up matches on three consecutive days? Well, they for, T tw- for three T20s. They
1: arranged two, but then one of them it rained halfway through, so they okay.
2: abandoned it. Well, yeah, but I agree, uh, it's a bit
1: odd that they had two warm-up matches for the T20s and none for the yeah. ADIs. But I guess they would just looked at the T20s as the warm-up for the ADIs.
2: I've just maybe I think it is also a kind of a product of the time timing that I've just lost track. The time zone. Uh, it is on yeah. a
1: horrendous time it's on the worst one a- possible time 1 a.m it starts it's just not gonna happen and then it finishes at what 7 a.m i did uh, i listened i woke up and listened to the last hour of the game on the radio and then i went back to sleep for an hour so it just felt like a dream yeah when i then woke up again i had to go and check to make sure that <laughs> the result was actually the one that i thought it was there's one game to go in this adi series what's your prediction who's gonna win Because bear in mind, of course, the T20 series went Big England win, Big New Zealand win, Big England win. The one-day games have gone narrow New Zealand win, Big England win. Is it, therefore, New
2: Zealand's turn to win? You might argue that based on the facts. Based uh, on,
1: I've I've identified
2: a pattern. Fibonacci over here. I think uh, England will win. My evidence for that is Anderson. Obviously, last time England played some ODIs, they didn't have Anderson. Uh, He is England's best bowler. Yeah, that's a factor. The batting looks decent. Root is doing really well, despite my slight reservations about some of the kind of hyperbole that's come out about him.
1: But he is... In my notes here, I've got most exciting young cricketer in the world in the last 25 years.
2: But <laughs> I think both of them call him call him the most talented young player he's ever seen. <laughs> really? Yeah.
1: That is an extraordinary hyperbole, actually. I mean, he is really talented. The thing that's so eye-catching about Joe Root is the... Uh, the range of shots he has the array of shots because he can um, score all around the wicket he's a bit like Owen Morgan in that respect or Kevin Peterson or someone like that he is a very very exciting prospect but yeah I'm not sure he goes so far as to say he's the most talented young player you've ever seen I mean Presumably, in both saw saw Sachin Tendulkar when he was a young player. I oh, did or say Brian Lara. is
2: one of the most. I should say. Yeah, I like see, see, to see, clarify that.
1: I love saying one of the most. I, I do it as well because you say he is one of the most. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, because then you can, if asked to clarify, you can say, well, 100 hundred fifty.
2: I mean, he's not played a lot of international cricket, as he Ru- old rooty, but you know, in seven ODIs, he's yet to score less than thirty, uh, which is good consistency. You know, throwing three fifties in that and a great knock today yeah he looks like a lock now doesn't he in the NDI line it was
1: a fantastic innings today I mean England were wobbling a little bit uh and were quite a way behind the run rate when he came in and in the end they won with two and a half overs remaining before we move on if we could just stop for a moment to um indulge in our weekly Nick Knight bashing um (laughs) we got an email this week from Matt Whitaker. he says hi chaps Your podcast has been doing sterling work of late channeling the nation's annoyance at Nick Knight's commentary. Just to add my two penneth, why on earth does he always commentate in the future tense? I.e., and that will beat the infield, will be four. It's bad enough that he commentates like he's doing audio description for the blind, but at least get the tense right. And then he uses an expletive. Uh, Also got a tweet from John uh, who says, It's not just sixes now. I'm waiting on the forward defensive. Has he blocked it enough? The side notes now, on which we discuss some of the more offbeat stories of the cricketing week. Uh, I've got a couple of side notes for you here, Tane. I'm just laughing a little bit because I've pulled up the first one and the picture is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> oh, right, well, it's come from the Birmingham Mail. Olympic star Lewis Smith to join charity bike ride. Olympic medal-winning gymnast Lewis Smith will be joining ex-England cricketers Michael Vaughan and Phil Tufnell when a charity bike ride comes to Birmingham. Strictly Come Dancing winner Smith will join fellow reality dance show contestant Vaughan and I'm a Celebrity hero Tufnell on the 91-mile journey from Manchester to Edgbaston Cricket Ground during the 12-day, 462-mile trip in September. Called the Michael Vaughan bike ride which is an imaginative name. It will raise funds for Laureus Sport for Good and the Cricket Foundation's Chance to Shine initiative. Ex-England skipper Vaughan will lead a host of celebrities on the route around the cricket venues staging the Summer One Day series with Australia. He is also looking for 50 fundraisers to join him on the leg to Edgbaston on September 11. Vaughan said, quote, It will be wonderful to have Lewis and Phil along on this charity bike ride.
2: <laughs> so, that's a great quote, isn't it? <laughs> it's brimming with enthusiasm there for that. Oh. Uh, are we going to be one of the 50? Well, we could sign up, couldn't we? You can't ride a bike, though, can you? you would going to be a struggle. Uh, we could I do can, a tandem. No, hang on, we can, I can
1: ride a bike. <laughs> I'd like to point out I'm just really bad at we it. We could do it a tandem, though. Then you wouldn't
2: need any that bike racing. So that bring, would be adorable, wouldn't it, yeah, that would if, be. if we rode a tandem? I, I, I wouldn't bet against you bringing me down, though taking the whole thing over i'll just let you do the wedge
1: yeah, like, that would be great wouldn't it if we could live podcast for a tandem <laughs> well you do the
2: pedaling i do the steering so that's what you struggle with i think isn't it i struggle with both <laughs> well, maybe no, you just doing both at the same time um i'm gonna sign us up the michael vaughan bike ride
1: is that what it's called the michael vaughan bike ride yeah it's a great name it tells you all you need to know L- what lorrius did you say Laurier's sport for good and chance to. That photo is absurd. Yeah, I'm gonna have to post this photo <laughs> <That's genius>. because <laughs> it's uh, Tufnell and Vaughan <laughs> grinning like mad,
2: and Lewis Smith looking slightly uncomfortable. The ubiquitous Lewis Smith. There we go, mate. Is register register for st- the various stages? Which one do you want to do?
1: You say which one do I want to do? I don't want to do it. I can't ride a bike. You could do it,
2: though. Uh, what are the legs? Headingly to uh, Old Trafford, 80 miles, two cricket matches, one day cycling, one day at the National Cycling Centre experience, including the Velodrome, BMX, mountain bike and watt bike taster sessions.
1: Sounds up your street. Sounds
2: right up your street, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're on this bloody uh, health kick now, so you're probably looking at that thinking like, oh, yeah, I could do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, um, I could knock that out before breakfast i wasn't funny. really listening to myself reading this article <laughs> Where is uh is it are they getting celebrities to do it yeah he's right so he's leading a host of celebrities <coughs> on the route but he's also looking for 50 fundraisers so assuming that we're not invited <laughs> yeah. as as two of the celebrities yeah,
2: I do assume that
1: um maybe yeah maybe you could go yeah, well i think you should go and do it
2: i don't have a bike that's the only
1: thing
2: <laughs> <laughs> is, is, that, is that included there we go oh Price 250 pounds registration fee plus 1200 minimum fundraising or 1200 pound one off payment. Well, that rules me out. (laughs) The whole thing would probably cost me about three grand, uh, (laughs) none of which I have.
1: Just one more side note for you. This comes from the Daily Mail. Chillaxing, I like to go to bed early. PM reveals how he copes with pressure at work, brackets, and he certainly wasn't caught napping on the cricket field. David Cameron has renewed speculation about his tendency to chillax on the job as he broke off his trade trip to India to play cricket. The Prime Minister began his visit with the biggest business delegation in history by revealing that he stays sane by having a good night's sleep and employing good staff to do the work for him. He also claimed that he would be watching Bollywood films on the flight out. But he had been in Mumbai, the capital of Indian commerce, for just seven hours before he sloped off to Mumbai's famous Oval Maiden, a vast square where several games of cricket are played at once. The cricket-loving Prime Minister wielded the bat against some ferocious deliveries from local youngsters who flocked to the recreation ground in the centre of the city to play. After a few lusty blows, Mr Cameron's middle stump was removed by a young bowler named Sachin, named after Mr Cameron's own cricketing hero, Sachin Tendulkar, the legendary cricketer who once gave Mr Cameron a signed bat. Mr Cameron's technique won... (laughs)
2: for Mr Cameron.
1: Mr Cameron's technique. <laughs> Mr Cameron. <laughs> Mr Cameron's technique one approving comments from members of the England women's squad who have been helping train boys and girls through the ECB backed Global Cricket School while in town for the World Cup.
2: Yeah, I, I saw the picture of Mr Cameron uh doing t- 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 his stuff.
1: Yeah, there's a there's a there's a couple of pictures of him mid cover drive. I like this. I like the fact that they're trying to frame it like he's, you know, he's he's gone out on a, you know, with the business delegation and then he sloped off to <laughs> yeah. play cricket. So this wasn't a very carefully orchestrated PR stunt.
2: Presumably this was a major part. This is like the cornerstone of the trip. Really. Yeah, they probably had numerous meetings about <laughs> yeah. it,
1: yeah. about how best to... Uh, Organise it. What Again, shirt he should yeah, wear? Yeah. Well, well, you wonder
2: why it. we weren't invited as part of the trade delegation.
1: <laughs> there's an article, uh, that, like there's a few articles about this, and one of them linked to uh, another article about the trade delegation that was written by whatever that's that guy's name, who's the head of Cobra Beer, who founded oh, yeah, Cobra Beer. Yeah, he was on Question Time recently. Yeah. In this article, he was talking about how uh, how important this delegation is, how important it is that the UK and India establish great trade links. He's like, you know, India's uh, a massive emerging market the uk still producing some of the best products in the world he's like cobra beer for example <laughs> has uh, won numerous gold awards for beer around the world he's like that's just one of the great products <laughs> that the uk's
2: producing yeah not first on the list
1: Much like that meteor in Russia, this episode of the World Cricket Show has been unstoppably plummeting at a terrifying speed for quite some time. We should probably bring it to an
2: end, (laughs) therefore. Blowing out windows all over Moscow, or the Urals, wherever it was. I think we're quite big
1: in the Urals, aren't we? (laughs) Yeah, People just walk down the street playing the podcast on their ghetto blasters. I believe it does break the odd window. Did you hear about that, Tone, that meteor? I did, yeah. Did did you hear hear about about that in the
2: news? I saw about it, yeah. Some of that footage is absolutely... Bonkers. It's crackers. Yeah, it's, it's mental. It's, it's dotty that footage. Uh, yeah, I mean it was a fairly big event, wasn't it? In, in the grand scheme of meteors, what would you
1: do if you were driving? Like if you were driving along in Guernsey and you saw that, what would you do? Because I would think, well, it's obviously the end of the world, and do something. Well, because
2: no, I mean you can tell very quickly that it's not compare it to deep impact the movie <laughs> I was gonna, for a moment i thought you were like positing yourself
1: as <laughs> like an astronomical expert no. But no you've just seen the movie deep impact but i mean very
2: clearly it wasn't very big was it i mean it was ish but well but it could be you know well, no, it can be, miles away well yeah but it's still coming through the, the atmosphere is only you can only see so many miles the atmosphere is only like 10 miles up isn't it and how, how, how many miles can you see on a clear day. But if
1: it's a thousand miles in the distance is what I mean. I think you can see a thousand miles in no, the distance. No, you can't, but that's not the point.
2: That uh, is the point, though, because you can't <laughs> see. The curvature of the earth is such that you can't... Well, you that's can maybe, true. But, I mean, yeah, okay, I would have probably, I'd have probably let off a few expletives. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I just, as I say, I'd have just assumed it was
2: in the world if I had
1: a passenger. <laughs> have, it's
2: the pessimist in you coming out. I'd
1: have, yeah. I'd have just very calmly thought, right, it's the end of the world. <laughs> I'd have just about... like driven off the cliff <laughs> or something. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. if you'd been in the car with me, I'd just punch you in the face a few <laughs> times just because just I've always wanted
2: to. Yeah, But I don't know how I'd have reacted, really. I'd probably laughed in many ways. In many ways? I <laughs> have laughed in many ways. I would have laughed No, in, I would have probably <laughs> laughed, I think.
1: Well, that's about it for this week. Thank you very much for being with us, Mr. Day-Lewis. Uh, <laughs> did you enjoy portraying Tony Kerr? Yeah,
2: I'll be back for a sequel next week.
1: Uh, yeah, that's it for this week. We will be back next week uh, with characteristically in-depth analysis of the first test between India and Australia in Chennai, didn't have a chance to do a preview today, but can I get a prediction from you? It's a four-test series. Bang. What's, what's the result? Ooh, 2-1 India. Interesting. He's backing India. I'm going for one all wow. I think Australia are going to get something out of it. India have had their struggles of late, so that's what I'm going for. We've actually predicted different things there. 10. Yeah, it's unbelievable. So, yeah, we'll be back next week to talk about that. In the meantime, uh, if you like the show, there's all kinds of things that you can do to act on those feelings. You can leave us a review on iTunes. We do massively appreciate all of those. Uh, we're now on SoundCloud, Tony. You're aware of I this? saw that. You didn't let me know about that. I was surprised. <laughs> I just thought I'd just upload it to SoundCloud. Yeah, Why that's not? a
2: good move. Smart move. You can
1: like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash cricket show. Follow us on Twitter at cricket show. Uh, you can follow Tony as well at Tony Kavur, off
2: about, oh, on average, one to two tweets a week at the moment prolific. I think I've, I've, I'm in the nervous 90s. there's <laughs> uh, a lot of tentative tweeting going on here. I've,
1: I think I've done about 3,000
2: or something. You, this point. Oh no, you clutter up my Twitter feed. Boring. My timeline is just a mess.
1: Uh, send us an email as well worldcricketshow at gmail.com if you've got any questions or comments or you know, you just want to say hello. Uh, and if you go to our online website www.cricketshow.net Just a little yawn there from Tony. It must be <laughs> yeah. nearly the end of the episode. Uh, yeah, If you have a look at that website uh, there's an episode player on there so you can listen to the show you can also buy a t-shirt a world cricket show t-shirt there it's 15 pounds and that includes free shipping to anywhere in the world just to give you uh, some currency conversion that is about 200 south african rand it's about 27 new zealand dollars 23 us dollars 23 canadian and 22 australian dollars those figures have actually come down Uh, thanks to the weakness of the
2: pound. (laughs) Good old pound. It's great. Softening up so you (laughs) you can get cheap T-shirts. Great news for us. It's great news for the listeners. Exports are booming. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, great. Summer's coming up. Northern Hemisphere summer is on the horizon. Almost as bright on the horizon as that meteor. Something like that. Uh, You know, the sun's out. What better way to kind of usher in the summer than by... Donning a World Cricket Show t shirt.
1: But I've just spilled water down myself. To start. <laughs> I, didn't I honestly I do this about six times a day. I don't know what's wrong with me. The last couple of weeks, just constantly, like at least once a day, I go to drink some water and just <laughs> throw it down my front. I'm such an idiot. I don't know what's gone wrong. Right, right that's, that's it, I think, on that note. Stay in school, team. Bombshell next a,
2: week. That's a top game line, isn't it?
0: it up is to us, <laughs>
2: I can smell your fear ba-da-da-ba-ba, ba-da-da-ba-ba.